2: I don't know if you all saw this but cnn came under fire for quote unquote misgendering dylan mulvaney the correspondent called dylan mulvaney a he a him and then the next day cnn made an on-air apology but the problem with that scenario is dylan mulvaney is a he him dylan mulvaney is a man dylan mulvaney saying he's a woman does not change the fact that he is a man So how did we get to this place where the media is apologizing for telling the truth? And how soon until most of cable news or all of cable news completely folds to this nonsense? We're going to bring my buddy Bobby Burak on the show to talk about all of this. He writes a lot about culture, a lot of different interesting issues. He's a writer for OutKick. We're going to get his take on this. Also, he recently wrote a column talking about how affirmative action introduced excused racism so what is excused racism and why does it matter why should you care all of that and more with my friend bobby stay with us well bobby it's your first time coming on the show but we're friends nice to have you on i appreciate you taking the time
3: yeah, absolutely. We've connected um, on radio several times on OutKick, so good to reconnect on the podcast. Uh, congratulations to all your successes. I know the show is killing it and uh, happy to be here.
2: And I love that you're not afraid to dive into the cultural issues because I really do think they're the most important right now.
3: Yeah, so do I. Um, I think they're not only the most important right now, they have the most lasting consequences which is why I try to spend so much time getting to the root cause of all them and not only what's happening, but why it's happening and what it's going to mean long term. I mean, we can go down the list. Um, I wrote about the racial reckoning last week and what happened as far as affirmative action, the Supreme Court ruling there. But this is stuff that doesn't just go away like a lot of the political topics we debate amongst ourselves are short-term issues the next president or next congress will just undo those issues they don't really matter long term not all of them but some don't matter beyond two, three, four years. But these cultural issues have lasting effects. Um, What happened with affirmative action is the best example of that. In the 1960s, Democrats introduced this concept right at the end of the civil rights movement. They pretty much said, this equality is not going to suffice. We need to keep the government, and then by virtue of the government, businesses and institutions, manipulating who gets into colleges and jobs based on the color, of their skin. Well, that was in the 1960s. And affirmative action has morphed into much more than that. You have offshoots like the S and ESG, equity, DEI. Right now, People are being judged merely by the color of their skin. Their skin cone is dictating their precise level of success. And that's not something you can just undo. It's happened to people for years now, and it's going to continue to happen. So to me, there's no issue bigger than that because we are being stripped away from who we are down to the color of our skin, or our sexual orientation, or our pronouns. And that just should never happen in America or really any country.
2: Well, and you called it excused racism in your column. Uh, What is excused racism?
3: To me, that's what affirmative action is and what all these offshoots are. The idea of affirmative action is that the only way to reach racial equity is to racially discriminate against targeted groups. Affirmative action has done that to white people in Asia. They're excusing the racial practice based on this idea that it's okay to discriminate against them. A perfect example is, and this happens all the time and nobody wants to admit it, but I cover media for a long time. It's happening at every single place every day when a job opens up and they say, well, we can't have a white person there because other white people have held this job before. That is them excusing racial discrimination in the name of diversity, or equity. ESG, I think, is the most effective offender of it. The S in ESG represents social, meaning diversity, sexual identity, and race. And companies are being judged, according to the BlackRock CEO, based on their ESG scores. So a place like whether it be AT&T or Verizon, they're incentivized to place identity over competence, competence and racially discriminate against mostly white people to get a better score. That to me is excused racism.
2: Well, and it's also seeped its way into the coverage, right? And how things are covered as well. You know, if a criminal's white, of course that's mentioned, right? But not if the criminal is black and there's a drumbeat about, you know, white, this white, that white people are terrible, white people are evil. And so, you know, the media is certainly doing its best to drive that narrative uh, and, and to drive it home
3: yeah um a year ago study came out from the pulse millennials probably still accurate now get this if a shooter is black and the victim is white versus if the shooter is white and the victim is black there's a seven to one ratio where they're more likely to mention the race of the white shooter and the black victim than vice versa That is media manipulation. That is the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR slate saying, we're going to make these murders a race issue, and we're going to make the races of this murder irrelevant. That's not them reporting the truth. That's them trying to create a narrative and incite this racial animosity that has come to define race relations in America. We have become a more racist society. ID because white people are being at- being told you better atone for the sins of your ancestors black people are being told you're owed something white people were mean to your ancestors they owe you something and that creates tensions and hatreds. So of course, we're more racist society now because we're being driven to look at everybody by their skin color, which wasn't supposed to be the case at the end of the civil rights movement. We were trying to undo that. Now we've just escalated it in the name of all these wonky terms and policies. It really bothers me.
2: Well, and of course, the media was one of the biggest drivers of the, the police shooting lie that somehow was open season on black men. When you actually look at the numbers of police shootings, that does not add up. It was a lie. You know, the whole hands up, don't shoot with Michael Brown was a lie. So, you know, they're they're really like the biggest perpetrators of lies.
3: Yeah, and you mentioned hands up, don't shoot. That is the words of civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who every time a black person in the news gets shot, he jumps in and lies and makes it more inflammatory and quite frankly, racist. He started that phrase and it just became this big thing that was on bumper stickers. It wasn't true. Michael Brown didn't have his hands up. And and none of this stuff is true. Tyree Nichols is the latest example. I forget now exactly. I think it was five black cops beat him to death in Memphis, Tennessee. And You had CNN saying, well, the cops were black, but the police uniform turned them into white supremacists. Really? That doesn't even make sense to me. So now if a black cop kills a black person, it's white supremacy? Um, none of that makes any sense. It's not supposed to. This is them trying to dictate this message and really create a race war. Um, you have to question what do they gain from it? But I think it's quite obvious. I put it in my latest column. Race Racial tensions in America have skyrocketed twice in the past 20 years. First, when Obama took office, then again, when Joe Biden took office. Why? Because they keep telling people that racism exists on the macro level level in favor of white people. Of course, there's no proof of that, but it seems to be working because people believe it. And when they believe it, they are convinced that one side of the political aisle is trying to stop it. So when you create this boogeyman and then declare that only you can slay the boogeyman, people are going to believe it. And they do. Now, how many people believe it? It's hard to say exactly, but based on the numbers, numbers have gone up quite a bit since biden's been in office and he says every time he attends a college that white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland well you keep saying that over and over again somehow this senile old white white guy yelling into the clouds actually convinced americans that is true
2: which is ironic because he's actually made some of the most racist statements out of any way <laughs> he said he didn't want his kids to grow up in a racial jungle and that Obama was the first African American who was bright, articulate, and clean. I mean, those are like actually racist statements that he's made. Um, but you know, that's not the point, right? they called Larry Elder a black man when he was running for governor in California a black white supremacist. So here it's really more about the, you know, the political ideology than it is about uh, you know, you know, the facts. But I wanted to get into so CNN has come under fire uh, for a correspondent Ryan Young, quote unquote, misgendering Dylan Mulvaney, calling him a he because he is a he. That's you know Dylan Mulvaney is a man, uh, despite what he tries to be. The network made an apology the next day.
1: Yesterday in a segment about transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who was featured in Bud Light's recent campaign, she was mistakenly referred to by the wrong pronoun. And CNN aims to honor individuals' ways of identifying themselves. And we
0: apologize for that error.
2: It's insane to be at this point, Bobby, where you have to apologize for telling the truth, that the media is apologizing for telling the truth.
3: Yeah. Imagine just five, seven years ago, telling somebody, hey, I just got in trouble at my job because I referred to a man as a he and a him. And they would have said, in trouble for what? And I mean, five, seven years ago, it wouldn't have made any sense. Now it's normal practice. You have to apologize every time you offend a transgender person. Um, I I don't use their preferred pronouns on purpose. I think the CNN guy might have done it accidentally, just instinctively, because Dylan Mulvaney is a man. I use their actual pronouns because, um, one saying that's always stuck with me is the only winning move is to not play, and that means when you're in a losing game, if you participate, you're only enabling the ruse. And the transgender movement, which I call woman face, is a ruse. They're appropriating gender for the better good of who exactly i don't know because it's not benefiting the trans people most of them end up suicidal unfortunately um I, i don't know who's benefiting from it but somebody is probably our leaders because they're usually the ones who benefit from all of this but to call them by what they want is you enabling empowering them to go along with this thing and you shouldn't have to do it misgendering is not a real thing somebody came up with it and now it's enforced all across these institutions people are fired for doing it kicked off social media if they say it and um yeah i just don't want to participate in that just like i never wanted to participate in this like idea that excuse racism is the right way to a uh, better society i never wanted to participate in this idea that we all need to mask up because Some bureaucrat said to do it. I mean, the only winning move is to not play and not participate in this. So it's maddening that CNN and that correspondent are now under fire for, like you said, telling the truth.
2: We'll take a quick commercial break. More with Bobby on the other side. When
0: you drive a vehicle so reliable,
2: it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do
4: Listen to
0: Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me,
4: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: How soon until cable news just completely folds to this nonsense where you're not going to see? I mean, I'm going to continue to say the truth, but how soon until cable media completely folds?
3: Yeah, I mean, as far as telling the truth, it's so hard to find. Back to the early days of COVID, Lisa, how many people were not only telling the truth, but looking for the truth? The entire industry just folded into parrots for big pharma, big government, big business. None of these so-called journalists were concerned about the truth. Or... When, I, when I joined, or when I became a journalist, I guess, there was one thing that I promised myself, because I think a journalist actually has very few responsibilities. I don't think it's all that impressive of a field. Your job is to hold the people. In whoa,
2: public. whoa, whoa, Bobby. Let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not, let's not crap out all, all over what I do here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, i am doing it to myself too, right? Like I've always yeah, said, fine. I've always said I'm far more impressed with truck drivers and farmers than I am myself by five. I've been open about that. Um, <laughs> but, but a journalist's core job is to hold people in power accountable because, because the people, the voters, the readers, the viewers, they can't do that. They they can't hold people accountable. So that's a journalist job, but they didn't do that during COVID. Most of them, they didn't ask questions. They didn't hold people accountable. They didn't try to um, get to the truth. They pretty much just punished anyone who didn't go along with the prevailing narrative. And that's why what happened during COVID not only opened my eyes, but just frustrated me about the craft, because like a lot of people, I consumed a lot of media during the pandemic because I want information, but you would read the New York Times or Washington Post, and they weren't doing that. They were just talking about the dangers you could inflict on society if you don't mask up. There was at first, what was it, the six feet rule. Um, that's not a journalist's job to enforce those rules. The, their job is to report the truth, truth and ask the questions, and uh, that just didn't happen across the board.
2: Well, I mean, you know my sentiments on all of that. Uh, that was a difficult time for me, and a point of, you know, frustration throughout the in- entire things. I was able to figure out the truth, yet you know, the media didn't seem to care and continued to falsely report on lockdowns and vaccines and and all of it, you know, really knowingly pushing lies. And then we find out that a lot of these media companies took money from the government to push these lies. So, you know, I guess that's where we are with that. You know, also regarding the Dylan Mulvaney thing, um, what I find even more ridiculous about it is if you go Dylan Mulvaney's social media pages, say that he goes by they. They is not a gender it's plural. So how, how do you misgender someone who goes by a they?
3: Yeah, I didn't even know that that's what he goes by now um, because I believe...
2: It's like she, they, which also makes no sense. How do you go by potentially a she, yeah. but then also a they? Right. Like that. None of this makes sense.
3: Because last I knew Sam Britton, the former nuclear official, he goes by they there because he's non-binary. He doesn't know what his gender is. He doesn't believe in gender. Something along those lines.
2: Yeah, I could find out pretty quick. I don't want to, but there's a way to find out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I didn't even know that.
3: I didn't know that Dylan Mulvaney was confused or pretends to be confused. Joe Rogan called Dylan Mulvaney last week mentally ill. And um, maybe he is. I mean, I think Sam Britton is. But I also wonder if Dylan Mulvaney is just a troll because he's making money. He's getting a lot of publicity by pretending to be a woman. I mean, he hasn't gotten any of the surgeries. All he's doing is playing a little girl he's just dressing up for the camera so you have to wonder if this is all a farce for publicity or if he actually is just completely off his rocker and actually believes in all this um because i don't know right like i think some of these people are like joe rogan said they're just they they have self-hatred and they think that changing genders will make them happy and love themselves again i don't know if that's what mulvaney's doing
2: yeah you know it does seem he's been able to exploit it for a financial gain. But I, but I know, you know, I've talked to people like Chloe Cole, who uh transitioned when she was very young. Now she's, you know, transitioned back to, you know, who she is, is a woman. But, you know, she said she was just looking for, for acceptance, right? You know, she was young, she was confused. She was going through a period in her life. And so I do think that's what hurts my heart the most, not, you know, Dylan Mulvaney, these adults who are, sort of exploiting all of this, but the children and the young people who are getting caught up in it, who are so susceptible. I mean, think about how hard middle school and high school is for everyone, you know, and then you're being told all these things and these ideas are being put in your head. Those are the people who my heart breaks for are the young people in all of this.
3: Yeah, me too. So when I was in seventh grade, people started shaving half their head for this new type of mohawk it was kind of a hideous look but everybody did it so it became cool it's so easy to normalize trends amongst younger people because they're impressionable they just want to fit in instinctively they want to fit in most students in school want to be like everybody else they want to be accepted the problem with transgenderism is that now they have access to tiktok and I'm not on TikTok, but I was on my friend's TikTok page because I was hanging out with her a couple of weeks ago and I was going through the recommendations and there were so many trans influencers. So young kids are seeing that and we know depression and anxiety and paranoia rates are all up among youth and teenagers. Well, when when you're depressed and you don't like yourself, you seek comfort, you seek change, you seek fitting in. So when they hear transgender people say, I used to hate my own skin. Now that I became a female, I love myself. Well, obviously those kids are going to hear that and say, well, maybe I'll try it. So you're not only normalizing it, you're promoting it. And you're also convincing the most impressionable people in society that they can do this to love themselves more. And that is heartbreaking because I'll never forget the quote you said. I think we discussed this on Dan Bongino's radio show, earlier this year, when you were in high school, I mean, you couldn't decide if you wanted to get a belly button ring and you regretted immediately. I did get one. (laughs) I
2: regret it. Yeah. I regretted it. I regret it to this day. I mean, it's gone now, but you have the hole, you know?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you regret getting a belly button ring when the time you thought it was the right move. Well, now you have kids. Thought it was cool. Yeah. Chopping off their body parts and they like you probably regret their decision, but you can take out that belly button ring. And that hole is not that big where the holes that these new kids are having via these gender-affirming surgeries, those are everlasting. They cause lifetimes of pain. Um, I mean, it's just the degree of consequence is substantially higher. and That's what's so unfortunate about all this. Well,
2: and that's what's so disgusting about the media's coverage of it, because it's so dishonest. They don't cover the other side. They don't cover the side where, you know, the vast majority of the people who get these surgeries end up with some sort of complications or, or, or may not be able to have children in the future. They don't cover that. And so it's incredibly dishonest and there's great consequences to it. So it really is almost evil in the way that it's being pushed and it's covered. You know, at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned that, you know, with the cultural issues, you try to get to the why. Is it hard to get to the why when we live in a society that doesn't seem to make sense?
3: No, because every time I one thing about me, this is I probably get criticized for this. I'm actually tend to be late to discussing topic like gender or the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action came out like eight days before my column came out. I know most people had out theirs out the day or so after. But I try to really sit back and think about the why. And it all traces back to the people in power. Everything done is to keep them in power and empower them more and separate the power gap between the leaders and the people. Every single thing. Like You look at race, transgenderism. The people in charge have been able to weaponize and manipulate all that because they can frame their oppositions as racist, bigots, and homophobes, and transphobes. There's, There's incentive to division. The great quote always is, a society conquered cannot rise up and challenge those in power. Well, by creating these issues, be it race or transgenderism or COVID, it creates divide amongst us. So we can't unify together and hold the people in power accountable. So I think the why to all of it is the people in charge are doing it to improve their own lives and their own standings. So, I mean, none of it does make sense, but if you look at it like that, it all makes sense because particularly one party seems to be unilaterally benefiting from all of these cult- cultural topics.
2: You know, I wanted to get your take. Uh, MSNBC ran a column, I guess it was from uh, last year, I believe, but they pushed out recently about how working out, or they're trying to tie working out to the far right, um, the far right's obsession with fitness. It was called, and they're trying to link nutrition efforts to Adolf Hitler and white supremacist, supremacist ideology uh, yet at the same time, they tell us that Lizzo is healthy and she's definitely not obese. You know, don't believe your lying eyes. Why push this and why tell us Lizzo is healthy? What is behind this?
3: This one is a bit more complicated Um, because, first of all, I mean, this we, we talk a lot about the truth. I mean, obesity is one of the leading, leading causes of illness during COVID. If you look at um, the fatality rates, obesity was wrapped around all of it. So it was just it's entangled around all of these health problems. What's interesting about the MSNBC article that they ran last year and all of a sudden repurposed after July 4th. I don't know if the editor gained some pounds over July 4th and wanted to feel better about himself. But uh, it, they, they tried to politicize fatness and health. And I I was thinking about this too. When I picture somebody who is like really worried about their figure, I tend to think of Northeastern liberal white women who live in suburban households. Like they're the most worried about their fitness. Like there's been studies, like they go to the gym most during the day and all this stuff. So I really don't think health should be a political topic. I don't really know that it is. I know in the media it's become that, but I don't think like if I go to the gym and I see somebody's really fit, I don't just assume they're far right. And if I see somebody fat, I don't just assume they're liberal. I've never really associated politics with fitness and health, but this trend has been going on for a while. If you remember that movie came out last November called The Whale and uh, the Rolling Stone website, complained that the director casted a man in a fat suit and not an actual fat man. They called it fat phobic and discriminating against fat people in Hollywood. (laughs) It was one of the most bizarre articles I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, they say Lizzo's healthy. Um, Remember Adele lost all that weight and they attacked her. They, They don't like Adele now because she lost all that weight, but they hold Lizzo up as a hero because... She is fat. Um, It's just, uh, you know, it's also hypocritical because MSNBC, not only are they now sticking up for fat people multiple times, and I checked over the past year, they've defended Joe Biden by saying he's more physically fit than Donald Trump, and they'll call Donald Trump overweight. So are they pro-fat? Are they not? It seems to be they pick and choose whenever it benefits them. But none of it is really rooted in reality because uh, being fat is not healthy it's actually the best way to ensure you have a short life
2: well it's also the best way for you know big pharma and you know what have you to to make money i mean during covid when they were trying to get everyone to get the vaccine they weren't telling us that one of the leading comorbidities one of the driving factors to the hospital was obesity meanwhile they're giving out you know cheeseburgers and what have you to get people to get the vaccine and What really would have helped tremendously is just to tell people to be healthy i mean really just tell people to be healthy would cut a lot of costs in in your life for a variety of purposes, particularly in the long term but you know obviously they don't want people to be healthy i guess they want everyone to be fat depressed and dependent on the government the media landscape has changed pretty significantly how do you think digital has changed cable news and the media landscape
3: 15 years ago or 25 years ago, 35 years ago, people sought big jobs because it was guaranteed success, meaning people watched ABC News, CBS News, CNN, Fox, et cetera all day long. They had it on the background. Then at like six o'clock, they see an uptick. So whoever you put in that time slot was guaranteed some level of success. Just like on radio, local markets said, well, I want to follow Rush Limbaugh because he has so many listeners. If If I follow him, I'm going to inherit some of them. Now we're in a place where media is on demand, a la carte, where people go out of their way to find one individual. People type in Joe Rogan on Spotify. They type in Ben Shapiro on Apple Podcasts. They're not just coming on in the background. So the numbers are smaller. Some of those reports aren't accurate that Rogan reaches more people than TV viewers or TV hosts. It's actually not accurate. I mean, we can get into why. But what it is, is his audience is more engaged. So Jake Tapper probably reaches more people than Joe Rogan by virtue of how many Households have CNN in the way they measure it. But Rogan's listeners are engaged and they're actually listening to what he's saying, where a lot of Tapper's viewers might just walk by at the airport where mute muted. They might be making dinner and have it on the background. They're not actually listening and consuming to what he says. So you bring it full circle. Media is more fragmented than ever. That's why numbers are down so substantially. Johnny, Johnny Carson used to average 15, 17 million viewers. Jimmy Fallon averages 800,000. Well, because... well. First of all, Jimmy Fallon's not very good, but it's just a different market. There's so many more options. So what ultimately happens is, is that it cuts out the middle class. The stars are making more money than ever. Rachel Maddow, Joe Rogan, Howard Stern, Megyn Kelly, they're making more money than ever before. But the middle class is struggling because they're now more replaceable than ever.
2: Quick commercial break. Stay with us.
0: Call 800 333 kia for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and five-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm
1: Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. The couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.
4: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast.
0: Rappaport's reality, the reality a of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. <laughs> out.
4: And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it, would Ooh, a, it would have been the been podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's
0: reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And
4: me, Michael Raport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: Why do you think Joe Rogan does so well? he relates to the people who listen. I grew up in a real small town in Michigan. The the people on the TV don't associate, we can't really relate to a lot of people on TV. Didn't go to Ivy League schools, didn't have rich parents, et cetera, et cetera. Joe Rogan is somebody people wanna go have a beer with, right? He didn't go to college, right? He dropped out. He doesn't use words that people don't understand. He doesn't try to convince people he's smarter than them. People would like to go have a beer with Joe Rogan because his show is built around two people in a room having a drink, smoking weed, smoking a cigar. Well, you don't get that from most people in the media. They're all done up. They're they're privileged. They're spoiled. They talk down to you. Joe Rogan relates to the people he listens to. Um, Rachel Maddow doesn't do that. Rachel Maddow is popular among liberal viewers, but she's not like them. I mean, she went to, st- she went to Stanford. She brags about her IQ score. Um, she is disassociated from reality where Rogan brings the conversations people have amongst themselves to the air.
2: Makes sense. What do you think media is going to look like in 10 years?
3: Yeah, more and more fragmented. Um, fewer and fewer successful people, but more successful in that upper class, like the Rogans, Alex Coopers, Megyn Kelly's, Dan Bonginos, um, I mean, they're going to make more and more money. Um, but I think the biggest direction media is heading in is that, is that where social media has made it where people don't want to consume long content. So, the people, so let's take Ben Shapiro for example, he makes a lot of money in a lot of different ways. But part of it is that his podcast is cut up into short clips on Facebook. So people are consuming it in two, three, five-minute increments, not the full hour. You didn't really have that option in the past. So social media reach is going to be a big part of it. But there's also a question I have of what is the future of social media? Elon Musk rolled out this new monetization program, maybe Twitter separates because twitter has struggled to actually make money if twitter can become that beacon of free speech maybe that's where conservative media lives but if not it's going to be hard for conservatives to continue to have that influence if youtube facebook instagram threads make it harder for them to do that because growing up most people had rush limbaugh mark levin sean hannity on am radio well they didn't censor AM radio. They can censor people online. So it's a lot harder to have that fight for the truth unless there is that platform that allows everybody to tell their version of the truth, be it Twitter or Rumble. I really hope one of those can stabilize and become that central place for alternative viewpoints.
2: Well, and then, of course, we have mainstream media. We even saw with the cocaine at the White House, you know, trying to figure out, trying to trying to know whose blow it was, right? <laughs> and you've got Politico already running interference, saying, uh, "Oh yeah, we're probably not going to figure it out when they can find someone who spent two seconds uh, in the Capitol on January sixth, but you can't find who brought blow to the White House." like Spare me.
3: <laughs> and what that reminded me of a couple of months ago, remember they said that they weren't going to further investigate who leaked the supreme court um draft in may of 2022 so they look into what they want to look into but when they don't want to reveal who the culprit was they just brush it all under the rug and don't ever want to talk about it again don't you dare ask about it or you're causing trouble so i thought of that right away but uh um we do we i mean look we don't have any evidence but I think we all know where that blow came from, don't we, Lisa? (laughs) Did you see the babble on B?
2: It says, D.C. police say they may never figure out who left the bag of cocaine labeled property of H. Biden.
3: (laughs) They're absolutely right. I love the work they're doing. I'm so glad they're back on Twitter. I know they're off for a while because they misgendered, apparently, I guess. I think they were kicked off for that or suspended, but they do a great job. They're one of the few media outlets that I actually enjoy consuming at this point. And it's satire because, well, satire is better than the real reality now because they're so similar. Well, and
2: and satire ends up turning into reality. So that's where we were today. It's it's a crazy world, but I I appreciate you always covering these different angles. Uh, Everyone should go check out your column. Um, where, Where can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find your work?
3: Yes, I'm actually only on one social media platform, at least for now i'm on twitter uh yeah they can find it there uh outkick.com i've been there for three and a half years. Now I'm actually the longest tendered employee, believe it or not, other than Clay. So they can find it either place. And uh yeah, I hope they do. I uh, hope they like it. If they don't, they can let me know or, but uh I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and uh proud of you by the way. Um you know I've gotten to know you and uh I think you've changed a lot in the short time we've gotten to know each other and all for the better. Um I know how much the truth matters to you and how really you're one of the only people that I know who is willing to put themselves in jeopardy to do it. Like when you put out that column about why you were unvaccinated, no one else had done that. And you probably did jeopardize some opportunities, some friendships, some relationships. And uh, I know you didn't care because you wanted to tell the truth. So I admire you for that.
2: Oh, thank you, my friend. That that means a whole lot to me. Yeah. Not a fun period of life. <laughs> it, it nixed me from the consideration for The View and uh, had some, you know, close friends turn their backs on me. So, you know, but you, you get it too. We all get it if, you know, you try to tell the truth in this environment. So, well, you're a friend. I appreciate you joining the show. This was a great conversation. Um, we'll have you back on soon. Absolutely. All right. That was my buddy, Bobby Burek writes for OutKick. I always enjoy talking to him, but I've gotten to know him. He's just a really good guy. Um, really smart guy. Always writing interesting stuff. So you should definitely go check out his work for OutKick. I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together as always. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time.